Our scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. If you use your Red Pew Bibles, it's on page 1003. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hebrews 4. Um, This is a pretty dense book. As some of you know, as we've been going through the book of Hebrews, uh, just really convicting last week um, from what we were reading. Uh, This week, I don't know if it's any less, but um, we're going to look at uh, a, a word, rest. Uh, because it appears 13 times in these verses. And so we're going to dig a little bit on, on what that is. Um, so as we read the Bible, there are parts of it that are just really difficult and, and really challenging to receive. And um, when we reach those parts, I think it's, 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 it's a challenge to kind of dig deeper in and consider those things. And sometimes it's just really hard to absorb. But oftentimes... Christians want something that can be applied uh, devotionally in their life on a personal level when there are are many times that those instructions that we find in the Bible are for us to exercise within community. And that's the part that gets really, really challenging is when you're dealing with other people and, and living out those instructions with other people and to practice what we understand from the Bible with each other. And that's really, really tough and challenging. I'm, I'm going to give us a couple of examples about this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 reads this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's really hard, right? That's really tough. Here, here's another tough one. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's really hard. This is a really challenging thing to do. If you don't believe me, uh, how many of you pick up uh, telemarketer calls? Right? So there's only two saints in this whole room. Like, that's it. See, the, the Bible is not just like good thoughts and blessings. The, the Bible is a book of truth, and sometimes that truth, it hurts. It's a, it's a book of love, and sometimes that love hurts. Now, the Bible is full of blessings, but there is a lot more to it than just blessings and promises. We also looked last week that there are many warnings. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 4, and we look at this word rest, yes, It is a blessing. Rest is a blessing. But it's much deeper than that. What is the rest that is written about in Hebrews chapter 4? 
To get an idea about this, we do have to look to the Old Testament because the author of Hebrews did not have the New Testament as a resource. So he's looking back towards the Old Testament and there's all these pictures in the Old Testament that he's bringing forward to our mind to consider. One of these pictures that is commonly used is that of the wilderness. And so when we're looking at the wilderness journey from Egypt to Canaan, that this place is a place of rest because they are entering into a place of rest, going to the promised land. Now, we... We discovered last week that 600,000 people did not enter into that promised land, that place of rest. But there were some who did that were led by Joshua and Caleb into this rest that God provided them. Now, the first five books of the Bible have a lot in regards to the theme of rest inside of them. One example of this is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 19. It reads this. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. Now, the context of that verse, everyone knew about it back in the Old Testament because this is a story that is passed down by tradition. All of their ancestors, their forefathers knew what it was like to be in Egyptian bondage. Everyone knew that they were heading into the promised land, that they were looking forward to this rest that God promised, that this rest that God promised was only but a shadow of the rest to which the author of Hebrews is writing about. Now, even those who enter the promised land and its rest didn't experience the rest that will later be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this is what he's writing about in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, if the promised land was the rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And that's speaking of Jesus Christ. Now there is a rest still awaiting the people of God. Deuteronomy was just a foreshadow of a rest to come. And the rest found in Joshua to the promised land is a foreshadow of the rest we find in Jesus Christ. Now that as a background, let's go into verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Again, the book of Hebrews is full of promises. It's full of warnings. And here's a warning. It says, let us fear. We need to be really careful. We need to be on guard so that we don't end up like the majority of those Israelites that were wandering through the wilderness. And before this warning comes this promise. In verse 1 it says, The promise of entering his rest. That that promise still stands. So for us, in a practical sense, we've had the message of the gospel shared with us. Now that we have this, let us fear. We have that promise, let us fear. Don't be like those who responded like those in the wilderness. Don't be like that that they listened and they knew the message of God, but it made no difference in their lives, that they knew all of this information in their head, but they didn't act on what they knew through faith, through living out their faith. And so they listened. They listened and they learned the word, but they, they didn't live out their faith. All this information, but not much to show in terms of how they're living it out. Again, we have the gospel. And yet we can ask ourselves these different questions. We have this gospel, yet how have we lived that out? Have we shared this faith with other people? Have we led them to a deeper understanding of what the gospel means so that it leads them into making decisions 
that are more God-honoring versus dishonoring. And many of you have been following Jesus Christ for a very long time and are very mature in your faith in terms of what you know. But yet, how is that being lived out in a purposeful mission in terms of mentoring, discipling, coaching other people who are younger in their faith? And so those in the wilderness were this picture of futility. And the problem wasn't the message that they had. And the problem wasn't even the leadership that they had. They had Moses, Caleb, and Joshua. They had very capable leaders. And they had the absolute best message. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't do what they did. You have a beautiful message. You are able to do these things. And it's not a matter of age because Caleb and Joshua lead them into rest at a very young age. And then you see Caleb at 85 years old uh, conquering Hebron and retaking Jude- the, the Jews' second most holiest site at the time, or even today. And he conquers it. He takes it from Anakim, not, not Anakin, Anakim. And, um, and he decides. He decides to follow God. John wrote this in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So back to this warning of let us fear. See, the problem is not our message. We have the same beautiful word of God. The problem, according to the parable of the soils, some of, them, some of you know this parable, The problem of the parable of the soils is the soil. It's not the seed, because the seed is the gospel. The message is the same. The issue is where the seed lands. The issue is whether the seed is even scattered. So where are our hearts this morning? It's the soil, right? Are our hearts hardened? Is it off on its pH? Like, is it too acidic? Is it too alkalinic? Is it... it, just off in any way so that the seed does not penetrate deeply and root there. And so from a practical standpoint, are you harboring anger in your heart? Is there bitterness, self-pity, resentment, jealousy, disappointment, whatever it may be that is preventing the word of God from taking root in your heart this morning, what is that? Because you can't hear from the word of God with that type of heart. It, it, it is a soil that won't allow for the seed to, to grow, to, to germinate. Have you noticed that the most receptive time we are to receiving from the word of God is when our hearts are broken? That soil is wide open to go down deep. Right? Have you noticed that when you need God the most, when you're on your knees pleading for that loved one, begging for that loved one, that that's when you're closest to God. When we're there with a genuine and humble heart is when we're closest to God. See, we have this holy moment on these Sunday mornings. And holy meaning that this is not common, right? Holy, not meaning like this, oh, angelic type of thing. Holy in terms of this is not common. Because how many people in Oakland are sitting in a church pew right now? 
Very few. It's very few. This is not a common thing. And so that's where I'm trying to bring in holy. Holy as in it's uncommon. And so you're in this place that is an uncommon place, a holy place. And yet the question to ask yourself is, when is the last time that the word of God kind of broke your heart? And how many Sundays have you gone to church with it not really changing something inside? And yet we do believe that the word of God is living, dynamic. And yet what is it doing? Now a way to tell if the word, is God, word of God is doing anything in your heart is that you are fully present in the moment. That you are fully here. That you're not thinking about what you're having for lunch in about an hour. Right? You're, you're fully here. And the warning is, let us fear. Don't do what those people did in the wilderness, which was rejecting God's written and spoken word, rejecting God's leading. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And there's that beautiful phrase in there, united by faith, meaning believe, trust each other, be together. And when someone is praying, where can we be united in faith? So sometimes we get into small groups and people are praying, or sometimes someone up here is praying, and maybe there's a confession like, God, I, I did not speak in love this past week. God, I was, I was unkind this week. Where can you be together in, that, together in that and say, like, you know what, that was me too. And I can confess that. I can be together with you in that. Because we need to get beneath all of that junk that is distancing us from one another as well as distancing us from God. Or even a sermon that you've heard this past week identifying with the scriptures that are speaking directly to you. To have God write those words on your heart because here's something that I just thought about while I was preparing for this message that I just thought was kind of deep for me. I don't remember the last time I read Hebrews chapter 4 other than this past week, like if I go log back, uh, I, I have a discipline to try to read uh, the chronological Bible within a year, right? So probably sometime last year, but I don't remember exactly when it was. And so take, for example, today as you're hearing Hebrews chapter 4. You don't know if you're ever going to get the same opportunity to hear this part of God's Word again. You don't know if... You're going to be around for that. So when the Bible is warning us to say, today, if you hear his voice, we really have to embrace the moment. That today, Lord, speak to me through your word, because I don't know when the next time I'm going to go through this. And yet we are dependent on God's word. We are dependent for him to speak to us. So what is he going to speak to us today through this, when I don't even know when the next time I'm going to read this is going to be? So verse 3, For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So we looked at this example, this Old Testament example of rest in Deuteronomy, uh, in that journey from Egypt to Canaan. And here, the writer is quoting from Genesis where God rested on the seventh day. God made rest available since completion of creation. 
And this creation, of course, predates the first example of the Exodus that we briefly, briefly looked at. And this rest was one where God himself enjoyed after God's completion of creation. Now, why did God rest? Was he tired? Like, why would God rest? Of course, he's not tired. God rested because there was nothing else to be added to what he did. So it's just like when you guys finish something, it's not that you're necessarily tired, it's just you're done. So you can rest from that. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God rested because he completed his purpose. His mission was accomplished. It's not that God was tired. It's not that he went idle after he had finished this. But God's rest is a testimony that everything was taken care of and everything was very good. Why is this important? Because it shows us what rest really is. Oftentimes people think of rest as doing nothing. But that's not what rest is. Rest is a purposeful pause that within a rhythm we are to imitate God that reminds us that we're not here without purpose, without reason, that we are to live lives of purpose that go beyond us, that the lives we are living aren't just for our own existence, it is for those who come after us, for those who are living with us currently, that we will leave things behind for them that are very good. So what purpose or mission will you and I accomplish? And it's not idleness, but to rest because the mission purpose set before us is accomplished. It matters that we observe rest. It matters how we rest. Why is that? Because it shapes our worldview of God. It helps us see that God is in his heavenly place and that who we are is who we are. It shapes our identity to look more deeply at who we are rather than what we are doing. Then the author writes this about Sabbath rest, starting in verse 5. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day. Today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Sabbath. Sabbath is a creation ordinance, but after the fall... It is impossible to attain that rest through one's own effort. So in order to attain that rest, God had to have a second creation, a second Adam. I don't know if you guys have heard this kind of phraseology within theology, the second Adam. And so Jesus, as this second Adam, that by his death, by his resurrection, Jesus Christ had us gain access into that rest. That through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, we now are then re-entered into that rest. Let me summarize. God establishes rest. Sin contaminates that rest. And that rest can no longer be fully experienced because of sin. Sin's contamination of that rest is then 
changed because Jesus Christ enters the picture. He redeems that rest on the cross and in the grave so that we can achieve, can have access to rest for our souls. That by God's creation, God establishes physical rest, and by redemption, God establishes spiritual rest. And as God ceases from his work, so in believing in Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest, and in order to believe, what needs to happen? You and I need to cease from our work, that we can't save ourselves, that it's only in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And so we have these Old Testament pictures of rest in God's creation in Canaan, in the promised land, through the wilderness from Egypt. We have this picture in Sabbath. And all of this becomes clear when we focus on Jesus Christ. And this is what the author of Hebrews is attempting to do. I'm giving you all these pictures of rest in the Old Testament, but it's all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to Christ. Jesus, who said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so the pictures of rest in the Old Testament are related to the rest of God in creation and in Sabbath. And this rest is foreshadowed in Canaan, but ultimately it's about rest for our souls in Jesus Christ. Now we have to distinguish between rest and escapism. Because I think in our culture, when we think of rest is actually escapism. For example, when people come back from vacation... Do they look rested? They don't. I mean, more often than not, they don't. They come back from vacation looking worse than when they left. And I don't know if that's because of time changes or traveling on a plane or whatever it may be. They don't look rested. Or people who are retired. Do retired people look rested to you? My mother-in-law, stop recording, please, <laughs> does not look rested. She's been retired for over 10 years. She doesn't look rested at all. Maybe part of it's my children, because, I mean, it, yeah, maybe, maybe that's part. But retired people don't look rested to me. People are longing for rest. People are longing for peace. And the world can't provide it, no matter how much vacation time you get, no matter if retirement's on there and you've been retired for 30 year, years. The best the world can offer is an escapism. And here Jesus Christ offers us an everlasting rest for those who believe, who trust in Jesus Christ, that the burden of sin was laid on him and now he offers that rest everlasting for our souls. Now I'm not the one to judge whether someone is saved or not. None of us is. Only God knows your heart, knows my heart. But I do have a lot more confidence for those who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior over others who just simply don't. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, John heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, 
Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I'm really um, saddened by those who die without the Lord, because without the Lord Jesus, there is no rest. Everlasting rest for our souls is only found in the Lord Jesus. Now, I know that there are many people who think that as soon as someone physically dies, that they automatically experience rest. And so you get the phrase, rest in peace. And this is one of those difficult things that I actually don't enjoy saying at all. And it's really challenging for me to say, but I have to tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, even though it's the truth, is that that's not what the Bible teaches that you don't just rest in peace because you die. That's not what the Bible teaches. I wish that were true. I wish that the Bible said that, that everyone experiences rest after they physically die, but those who reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior don't experience rest according to the Bible. Now, there are people who have all sorts of different ideas about what hell is like. I think here's an example of what hell is like that the Bible is telling us. That hell will include a constant state of restlessness. See, when the Bible is speaking of weeping, it's not that when you die, you have tear ducts. When the Bible speaks of gnashing of teeth, it's not that you have a jawbone and teeth when you die. What the Bible is trying to show is a picture of restlessness. When you are gnashing your teeth constantly, when you are weeping constantly, is a picture, a symbolism of restlessness, not that you actually do that there. Can you imagine? A constant state of everlasting restlessness. That is pure hell. Verses 10 and 11, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And so here's this phrase here, the let us again. They're very instructive. Back in verse 1 it says, let us fear. Here's the second let us. Let us therefore strive to enter that verse. There's two more let us's. Uh, we're going to cover that next week because they're found in verses 14 and 16, but we're, we'll talk about that next week. But that phrase is fascinating. Let us. It's very instructive. But I find this other phrase uh, that is really paradoxical to me. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Isn't that bizarre to you? I have to strive to enter rest. Shouldn't I just rest? It's weird. But this is saying effort by means of God's word and that we hear it and we receive it. Effort by means of faith in Jesus Christ and that we constantly exercise our faith. That we don't drift like in chapter 2. That we don't get lukewarm like in the book of Revelation. That we hear and do what the word of God instructs us to do. James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We have to do that, don't we? I mean, think about your vacation planning. When you're planning a rest, oftentimes your planning is longer than the vacation that you actually took. Yes? 
The same thing with retirement. You're planning to rest in your retirement age and you start saving when you're 21, when you get that job and you start putting money into your 401k, your 403b, your IRAs or whatever it may be for something that's going to happen like 40 years later that you're going to retire for who knows how long. You have to put a lot of work in to prepare for your rest. It's no different here. That you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we know that we have to prepare for everlasting. Can you imagine if you spend so much time planning for vacation, if you spend so much time planning for your retirement, how much effort are you going to have to put in to plan for eternity? Now, as I'm preaching to you in this, um, please know that this has been preached to myself for the whole week. I'm not just preaching to you. You only have to listen to, your, to me for like a half hour. I have to listen to myself for my whole life. <laughs> and so this past week, as I've been preaching Hebrews chapter 4 to myself, I mean, it's been like, what? This is so hard. This is so difficult to strive for this. But then to know that we're striving together in this that we're striving together to enter into this rest. Striving to share the gospel to the most unchurched, de-churched region of the entire United States right here. Striving to love and care for people who don't know God, but will get a taste of it through our kindness and generosity and blessing and prayers. Just like what's happening in the eye clinic across the street that we're going to be extending that kindness, that generosity, that blessing, that hopefully people will experience us striving to enter rest, that we can draw them into that, that it's not just about coming here on Sunday and then just warming up a pew, that there is effort for us to do. Confession, we are not the best church. We're not the best at anything. Nothing. If you were to look at any other church, you can find that, hey, that church is better at that than region. They're better at preaching. They're better at whatever, small groups. They're better at uh, helping the community. They're better at whatever it is. You can always do that. You can always find another church that is better than us at anything. But to be united in faith, to fear together, to strive together, to enter into that rest, it's not about being the best at anything. It's about us being together to work towards this striving into entering rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Like last week, we looked at considering Jesus. We looked at taking care of our unbelieving hearts. We looked at encouraging each other every day. And so simply just those three things this past week, how did you do? How did you do with those three things? Considering Jesus, taking care of your unbelieving heart, encouraging one another every day. And for us to strive together, even in simply those three things from last week. You see, the desert wanderers, they failed to enter the promised land because of disobedience. They didn't do what the word of God said. They failed to enter because of unbelief. They didn't believe it. They didn't practice what they were understanding and learning. So how are we doing how are we doing throughout the week, not just like coming here on a Sunday? And how is our heart doing? What is the condition of our heart? 
Here's the problem with people who have been Christians a long time. You're numb. It takes a lot to like get in there anymore. The words that you hear every Sunday, you've probably heard Hebrews 4 before. And you get numb to all of it. It's just like Christmases and Easter's. Like you've heard that message so many times that when you come on a Christmas or an Easter, it just kind of like goes over and you're just like, yay, let's go have our potluck. And we're like those people in the desert in that we just kind of take step after step in the sand. And we're just wandering into nowhere. And so it's like Sunday after Sunday, I'm walking, and we're just not really purposeful in the mission. And the most dangerous condition to be in is the inability to be able to hear God communicate to us. Whether that is to see God, to feel God, to hear God, that we just can't receive anymore because we're just so numb to it because we've been doing this so long. That's what happened to them. They're just wandering in the desert for 40 years, step after step, and going nowhere. Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And here's this really, really scary thought. That last phrase, we must give account. Man, that's a bummer. If you've been hiding stuff, this is terrible. Right? Everything about us will be exposed. Everything. Nothing's going to be hidden. Everything visible to God. Now, there's another part of me that's actually really looking forward to this. Because this is also so freeing. Right? Because when, when you're exposed and when you're caught and when, like, there's nowhere else to go, you're like, yeah, that's it. And then the real you appears. And then you got to confess everything and you got to be vulnerable with everything because it's like, you're caught. What else are you going to do? And then the real you comes out. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also really looking forward to people who judge me, slander me, gossip about me, or do whatever, tell lies about me. And it's just for you also. People that do that to you, because then everything is shown to be true. Your motives, your intents, and they'd be like, oh, I was wrong about that person. They weren't thinking that about me. I'm looking forward to that. Again, very freeing. See, I didn't have an impure motive. Or it shows like, yeah, he had an impure motive. Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. See, the word of God, it reveals, it judges all of our thoughts, our attitudes, our hearts, our motivations, our intent. It reveals the innermost parts of our being. It's, it's the statement of God revealing truth. And its purpose is to introduce us to the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into the rest that he has promised. That's what the word of God does. It's a sharp instrument that pierces the heart of, of the matters that matter most. A living book that actively, dynamically works through faith, that it comes alive to us in our faith. You see, the God who wrote this, wrote this for you and me. And we will all give account to every effort that we've made. 
to enter rest, every striving that we've made. And we need to be careful, fearful of how we approach these things. Otherwise, we're going to end up like those in the wilderness. 600,000 perish there because of disobedience, because of unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your promises as you start this book with a promise, but then it's, you're not misleading us in that you show us the truth and these warnings because you love us. And so, Lord, may we strive together. May we look at the conditions of our own hearts and who we are. We thank you for all these beautiful people and I pray, God, that they all hear your voice today. In Jesus' name, amen.